Welcome to How We Win, the official podcast of The Persistent. Action is the best antidote for anxiety, and we can all make a difference right now. Today, we are getting ready for another fun-filled, exciting, and empowering election cycle where yet again, the very future of our democracy is on the line. That's right. President Biden has announced his re-election campaign, so we are going to help you get hyped to make an impact. And helping us get fired up and sharing some big news about the target races to take back the House is the hype woman and executive director of Swing Left, Yasmin Raji. I'm Steve Pearson. And I'm Jennifer Fernandez-Ancona. And this this is is How We Win. Win. Big, huge, shocking news today. Can you believe it? (laughs) Uncle Joe Biden is running for president again. He is running for re-election. Did you see that one coming? Of course we did. We knew he was running. (laughs) (laughs) We knew he was running. Um, But yeah, it's a big deal. I'm glad it's out there. I like the way that it was connected to his first announcement when he ran in 2020. It was on the same day. You know, that's there's something kind of nice about that. I did not realize that. That mm-hmm. that is clever. Yeah. And uh and carrying on on his themes. Now you are a communications expert. You have mm-hmm. created some uh award-winning congratulations uh campaign, you know, videos um putting Thank uh you. protecting our freedoms at the forefront and he really yeah. Put that at the forefront, put democracy at the forefront of his announcement video. Um, mm-hmm. What did you think of the video? I'll start real quick with my yeah. my thinking about his Tell messaging me. in the video. I don't mm-hmm. care. Let's elect Biden. <laughs> like, we're going to do it. Like, like you You're know. You're just like, message, smash. Message, message. <laughs> we know what our job is, and it's to make sure we reelect Joe Biden. But yeah. having said that, uh, I would love to hear your reaction to his video. Yeah, I thought it was great. I did not get up at 3 a.m. or stay up until 3 a.m. to watch the video, which I know some people talked about doing. But um, but I did get That's up. That's crazy. <laughs> Young I'm people kidding. did that. I'm, I'm asleep yeah. by like 9.30. I can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> but I did see it first thing in the morning, and I, I thought it was really good. I was impressed. I was I was impressed that it was such a strong argument. I feel like for me, uh, what was really important was that it felt like it was speaking to the full coalition that we need to elect Biden. Mm. It wasn't speaking to a narrow slice of the electorate, which sometimes people have done, you know, candidates have done in their in their rollouts when they're starting to announce. They they signal that it's, you know, it's this type of voter that I'm that I want to talk to, you know, the swing voter, the person in the middle, the the Midwestern white person. And this ad did not do that. This launch ad was clearly, you know, the big, beautiful, multiracial, multigenerational coalition and it had that energy to it you know in our message work we call it mobisuasion where you're Mm. giving people a message that is both persuasive and mobilizing it makes you want to go out for for vote to vote for the person and it makes you persuaded to vote for democrats those two things need to happen if we're going to beat anyone who's on the other side and so i was very pleased to see that strategy happening and i and it is gratifying because that message about freedoms, about freedoms are on the line, about MAGA extremist Republicans was a message we were pushing and all of our partners were pushing for the past couple of years. So it feels good I, to see I, it in action. Yeah, I got to say, I, I thought about you as soon as I saw that video because it looked 
very familiar. Like the video <laughs> looked a lot like your videos, and um, and uh, it, it must have felt so gratifying that that folks are listening to your great work um, because they don't always. Like I've had many conversations with our friend Anachin Gurasario, mm-hmm. where she said, "This is how they should do it," but they don't mm-hmm. listen to me, so it's not. Gonna, <laughs> yeah. They're going to do the same old things, but. I agree. Yeah. I get really tired of of campaigns trying to pander to this swing voter, which yeah. I'm not certain really exists in the climate that we are living in right now anyway. Yeah. You know. No, it doesn't. Yeah, there's no such thing as a median voter. The the voter the voting coalition is big and diverse. It includes a lot of us and you can't win one without the other. You know, we need we need all of it to win. So I I totally agree. I will say a shout out to Anat because she definitely has been on this freedom train for a long time talking to folks about the power of using the freedom frame and she certainly influenced so much of our work in the in the midterms and so big shout out to her I think it's a victory for her too and we were talking about how what is next the next sorry like the next step is to actually connect through freedom frame potentially some of the economic issues as well. So those didn't come across as strongly in this opener, but it is something, you know, this is just the opener. And so there's so much more of the campaign that needs to happen, but connecting the idea of freedom, not only of our autonomy of our bodies and, you know, freedom from gun violence and all those things, but also the freedom to make a good living and have a good life and the freedom to thrive. And that that is something that we can connect in this story to ultimately uh, in the 2024 campaign. Yeah, it's really important. And in terms of the you know kitchen table issues that you talked about that will be coming out, uh, mm-hmm. I still say, and we say just about every week on this show, uh, this is on us as well. Um, this is our job as uh, as friends and neighbors and people with social media accounts and whatever our uh, scope of influence is, is to talk Mm -hmm. about the things that Biden and the Democrats have done and those achievements. Mm -hmm. Because um, in my lifetime, uh, Joe Biden has been the most impactful president in my lifetime. Uh, And Mm -hmm. what he has achieved has been uh, incredible. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, he wasn't my first choice Back then, you know, uh, wasn't my second, third, or fourth choice probably, and uh, and I've 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 been uh, so, I mean, pleasantly surprised. He's done incredible things. You know, the investment in our infrastructure, sure, Uh, the investment in our environment, uh, actually getting some, you know, gun measures passed, like not nearly enough. We, we, we of course have a long way to go, but we need to talk about Mm -hmm. that. And especially the inflation reduction act stuff, the investment, the infrastructure act stuff that Republicans most certainly are going to try to take credit for, even though they voted against it. Yeah. Well, and they're also threatening to roll it all back as part of this debt default proposal that they submitted last week, which was just ridiculous. It's absolutely a non-starter. But it is an opportunity because you're right, like these things are popular and we have to talk about them and we have to make it clear that these things that we have never had that are just starting to roll out for people, the Republicans are already trying to take it away. They suck. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, <laughs> it's my, <laughs> it's my hard, hard-boiled analysis. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, we, we can look at Twitter today, and it's interesting to see how ready the Biden team and all the people are to, to put those accomplishments out. You know, I've seen a lot of memes today. I've seen a lot of lists of things. Mm-hmm. So if you want to get get started sharing that news, like you said, today's a good day to find all that stuff. It's exciting to see people in a good mood on Twitter and, <laughs> for once. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and to, well, I mean, we have two things to be really you know, gleeful right? about. It's and true. that's the launch of Biden's <laughs> election campaign and us coming together as Democrats, you know, because it's so important that we do. And then uh, Tucker's out. Yeah, Bye, Tucker. Big bad guy. Yeah. He's so gone. We've got all kinds of, you know, uh, football spiking to do on Twitter right exactly. right now and elsewhere. But, but so um true. Yeah. How are you feeling about Tucker? What what's your what are your thoughts? That's something that I I hope no one ever asks me again. <laughs> how am I feeling about Tucker? Um uh like his he first of all, I it's important to recognize that um he was dismissed, fired, removed mm. from Fox because of some information that they found out yet undisclosed through uh, this lawsuit and um, and it, it appears that he was disparaging Fox in there and um, none of it none of the Murdoch. reasons for Fox dismissing Tucker Carlson have to do with his hateful um, racist right. democracy damaging rhetoric on their network right. um, no, they were fine with that they were okay with all of that and um and I think it's important to know there's just going to be someone else taking his place. You know, essentially, yeah. there, there always is. Well, and he may go somewhere else. He may go to a different platform. He may not actually go away. You're right. Well, he's going to try to he'll – fi- he'll try to find his own platform. I'm sure he'll – his podcast will do great, already does fine, which is why, you know, supporting progressive media and independent voices yeah. is so important. Nudge, nudge, hint, because- hint. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like mm, certain podcasts that I don't know might be kind of good. Right, right. <laughs> no, but it's actually true that he's likely to re- be replaced by someone worse. Like it's not going to get better, right? And the motive for, for ousting him seems like it may have also been financial. You know, with the Dominion lawsuit and having to settle that at such an astronomical rate – it does bring up precedence for lawsuits that can be filed. Yeah, that's an interesting interesting point. And if Fox goes the way of Republicans who are in power now, which they do, in fact, they usually kind of paved the way for the Republicans that are in power, which is for why sure. Fox is so damaging, um, then yeah. they haven't learned any of their lessons <laughs> because yeah. the flip side of, of the message that Biden's putting out um, is the Republicans not learning. Not only is it is it awful and and hateful and, you know, just terrifying to our personal freedoms and our democracy, but their uh, their actions are politically stupid. They just haven't yeah. learned. They've been yeah. they've been getting shellacked uh, in, in yeah. elections and they're they keep championing uh, deeply unpopular positions. And uh, and so I, I imagine Fox will will do the same thing like 
trying to normalize DeSantis. They're going to they're going to have another Tucker Carlson that they'll try mm-hmm. to nuance and, like you said, protect themselves in terms of defamation lawsuits. But it's going to mm-hmm. be the same thing in a different package. Mm hmm. Yeah. I don't know. Did you watch Hopefully that? Hopefully without a bow tie and such a punchable <laughs> smug face. <laughs> I mean, they're these guys. I, I was watching Rachel Maddow last night. If, if folks haven't watched her piece last night on the media, the history of right-wing yeah. media personalities, it was really good. I feel like it's a clinic like on media history that everyone should watch who goes to college or just anyone who's in the democracy should know. Yeah, I thought it was really illuminating to look back she was going back to 1936 to talk about this radio personality from that time period and just over time how there's always a guy who Tucker is the last in this line of guys who has a very outsized influence in the media space but then who doesn't have very much juice politically and so that really is the moment that we're in where it's like is this powerful successful right-wing media business going to keep carrying the Republican Party you know sort of like a weekend at Bernie's type situation when they're not winning in all of these electoral fights that that we've seen in recent times they just keep losing their elections so yeah, yeah it was a great piece and it reminded me of people that I've hated and have forgotten about really because they're just not uh, out there that much mm-hmm. the Bill O'Reilly who was yeah. you know um, by far the highest rated uh, show and Glenn Beck and all of that craziness and um, yeah. you know Bell. so uh, I I hope uh, I hope old Tucker is relegated to uh, nothingness but um but we'll see we'll see I hope so too it seems like a good sign but it's also it's also unclear what it means yeah what what it means in terms of is there something good that is going to come out of this or is this going is this going to implode or yeah, it's just sort of unknown. Like, where is this going? You know, I think that's yeah, that's what we have to look out for. And we didn't mention the same day Don Lemon was also dismissed from CNN for yeah. very different reasons. Um, I'm not sure what's going on at CNN, you know, writ large, but um, uh, this does seem to be uh, content and behavior related as opposed to like Fox being yeah. totally fine with Tucker's content and behavior. And, you know, there was some... Yeah. other reasons for it. But. Well, CNN is struggling. And this is something that I heard from someone very smart in media world that because they're trying to be middle of the road, but there is no middle of the road anymore. Yeah. So truth it's like is in truth. The con- lies are lies. You can't both <laughs> yeah. sidesism truth. Yeah. Yeah. And in the context of Fox News, which has such an outsized influence, the only audience is on the other side. And that's what MSNBC is building. And so MSNBC is doing well and has good ratings because they're, they understand that there needs to be a counterweight trying to be something in the middle. There's just no audience for it anymore. It's just not there. So that could be part of it, too. They're just struggling generally. Yeah. Well, um, thank goodness for the good folks and independent progressive media. <laughs> I'll stop. <laughs> oh I'll my stop. gosh. Um, all right. No, well, it's true though. Let's. Um, I, I'm bringing back this week a hero of the week. So um, our hero of the week is Harry Belafonte. Uh, Of course, Mm -hmm. the barrier-breaking singer and actor and activist. He passed Mm. away this morning at the age of 96. 
And um, I just wanted to mention him as hero of our century, really. Uh, he yeah. had one of the biggest lives of anyone to live, um, not only as a star and a singer and an inspirational uh, artist, um, but as an activist. I, I, I don't know if a lot of people know that he was intimately involved in the civil rights movement. He, yeah. uh, he put he up... He was a funder, right? He and was a, a funder. That's right. Yeah, he put up the seed money to uh, to start SNCC, the Student mm-hmm. Nonviolent uh, Coordinating Committee, and was one of the principal fundraisers for the organization and, and Dr. King's Southern Christian Leadership Conference. And mm-hmm. uh, his place in New York was basically a de facto headquarters for uh, mm-hmm. Martin Luther King and the leaders of that movement and John Lewis. Mm-hmm. And he was good friends with Dr. King. And yeah. um, I got uh, to meet him once. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Yeah. What yeah. was that like? It was cool. It was awesome. It was around the Obama, the lead up to the Obama election when I was doing a lot of work with Steve Phillips and Steve was connecting with uh, with Harry Belafonte about being involved in the Obama work. And we um, we organized a, a panel session at a donor conference that we were working on in probably like 2007 or something like that, 2008. And um, so I got to like meet with him and help organize organize this panel. It was um, Harry Belafonte and Gloria Steinem in conversation about movements over time. And yeah, it was very inspiring because the civil rights movement was such an inspiration for my work with Steve around building donor movements for justice, because that was such a big part of the civil rights movement, the way that donors across the across different races came together to actually support the leadership of the folks who were building in the South and Etc. So, so yeah. cool. I mean, how could that not have been inspiring? Harry Belafonte so and Gloria Steinem. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Incredible. It <laughs> was amazing. Um, anyway, I'm glad you brought that up. He's a hero. I can't believe 96 years. Wow. That's what incredible. An incredible life. I want to especially mention um, my friend, our friend Gina Belafonte, his daughter, mm-hmm. who yeah. uh, does incredible work um, here in LA with her organization yeah. Sankofa, which is, uh, you know, puts arts forward as a champion for democracy and and raising awareness on uh, anti-poverty initiatives. And she's a friend. She's been on our show uh, and uh, just sending mm-hmm. the the whole family. Um, all of our love and in in this difficult time for them and celebrating the incredible unparalleled legacy Mm. of Harry Belafonte. Okay. So having said, having said all of that and, uh, and celebrating his legacy of activism and action, um, let's talk about this week's to-do list. Great. Well, we have a great interview with Yasmin, of course, at Swing Left. And so our to-do list is for folks to check out their 2024 plan at www.swingleft.org. And everyone should sign up and start getting involved and volunteering in these races. There's 12 initial targets of congressional races that we can win. And so we got to get early money and early volunteer energy out into those places. Bunch of them are here in California. I can't wait That's to right. see the map. I haven't seen it yet. 
Um, I know a lot of you are, are swing left OG swing lefters who listen to our show because that's where we originated. But if you are uh, have not signed up, it's a great place to find impact, and um, I'm excited to to see their targets. And I'm excited for everyone to hear the great interview um, that we have with our friend Yasmin, who is on for the second time now. All right. So, uh, what's your reason for hope today, Jennifer? I mean, I I actually did feel really hopeful and inspired by our interview with Yasmin. So I think I'm just feeling, and I, it does connect back to the Harry Belafonte legacy because I'm just feeling inspired by people who give their time. You know, their time is so precious and volunteer energy is so important. And I think it's amazing to hear those stories about the volunteers in Swing Left and other organizations, of course. And so I'm just feeling inspired by all the people who... I'm preemptively hopeful about the people who are going to sign up and and do volunteer work for the congressional take back the house strategy. Yeah. And my reason for hope is also tied to Harry Belafonte and his legacy. um, Because I also think about the role of arts and artists in our movements uh, throughout history. Uh, It is so important. And, you know, I've been talking about this a lot here in California because uh, right now we are, fighting to re-up our production incentives for the film industry here in L.A. And, um, you know, uh, those are really, really important. But, you know, whenever there is tough budget decisions to be made, which there always are, one of the first things that people cut is the arts. And, um, you know, there's huge economic reasons why we need to uh, support the arts. But even if there wasn't, fascism comes for the arts first, for good reason, because these are the truth tellers. These are the people who can cut through to uh, other communities, cut through people's bubbles, give them a window into other ways of thought. And it's just so important. And, you know, no one really did that better, uh, was was more of a pioneer than Harry Belafonte. Um, mm-hmm. And in a time of segregation, uh, he was one of the first to cut through and, um so that that tradition needs to go on. Our democracy depends on supporting the arts, and um, and you know, Harry Belafonte's work inspires me, and I have a lot of hope uh, around that as well. So let's get into our interview with Yasmin. Yasmin Raji is the executive director of Swing Left. She was an alum of Biden's Treasury and was also the national political director for Planned Parenthood Action Fund. And, uh, you know, I'm an OG Swing Left guy, so I'm so excited to be talking to her right now as they're launching their new organizing plan. So thanks for joining us. Thank you. It's such a pleasure to be back. And uh, I cannot wait to talk about uh, the launch of a campaign that really brings Swing Left back to our roots. Yeah, well, you're going to have to wait because I want to talk about the last <laughs> campaign first. Um, yeah. you, you're launching into your second election cycle now as the executive director of Swing Left. So um, I want to hear what it was like jumping in for the 2022 cycle with the organization. And, and what were your biggest takeaways overall for that election? Yeah, what a great question. Um, I So I left uh, the Treasury Department in July and uh, as I was having my sidebars with both friends in the administration and friends, you know, outside, 
the kind of consensus feedback was it was a totally moronic decision to leave the administration in July before an election where Democrats were going to get eviscerated by the big red wave. And I was going to get, you know, sort of just have to do a lot of cleanup. Um, and I really felt in my bones, like all the things that I really, really believed in that we were fighting for in the administration, the biggest blocks in our way. So we talked about the last time I was on the show with you, Steve, uh, is was Republicans in state legislatures and Republicans in the way of us uh, being able to double down on the really big progress that we'd started. And so I was I felt really clear about coming back to electoral work. And what was so inspiring in my very first few weeks at Swing Left was looking at the numbers uh, of volunteers and this narrative that I'd been hearing from the outside, not just of the big red wave that was coming, but also that volunteer enthusiasm was down, that, you know, the resistance had moved away from persistence, to quote you, uh, Steve, uh, or quote the, the, so to manipulate the quote of resistance to persistence, yeah. um, that that was sort of over. And looking at the numbers in my very first few weeks and seeing the spike in volunteer signups after the horrendous Dobbs decision, but then looking at what our groups were doing, what swing left groups were doing all around the country, really, really just made me feel in my bones like what we were hearing out in the world was so different than the reality that we were going to experience. Um, and that's exactly what happened. I mean, the you you are one of the OG Swing Left volunteers, so you know this, but um, it's just an amazing thing to be a part of a community of folks who uh, believe in their bones that our democracy will be solved, uh, the problems that our democracy is facing will be solved by our collective participation in it. Um, and that's exactly what Swing Left volunteers and our partners all across the country did. And so to see that the narrative coming out of the election was one of the power of what democratic organizing, um, what movement organizing and the progressive movement uh, could do, but also the power of leaning into the issues that impact us so deeply, the fight for reproductive freedom, the fight for um, you know all of the big, bold, both climate investments and also economic investments that we're seeing in this administration and so much more. It just really, um, it made me feel really good, not not just because we were right, but also because- um, I mean, I that, think feels, that always feels good. It always feels good, it always <laughs> feels good. But also because I really, really believe, and this is why I, I feel so at home at Swing Left, is that um, if we invest in organizing and we invest in people, we can win things and we can win things over and over. And I feel like the 2022 election cycle was such a powerful example of that, even though the sort of organizing narrative felt maybe less zeitgeisty than in 2018, the power of organizing continues to be how we win. And so, of course, we can talk more about it, but uh, I'm really, I'm really, really inspired coming off of both 2022 and also the 2023 Wisconsin uh, election has me doubling down on my feeling fired up um, as we go into 2024. Yeah. Real quick follow-up. Uh, yes. um, and I'm sure you don't have the stats like at the ready, uh, but just off the top of your head, what was the biggest personal fundraiser in Swing Left history? Well, there is one personal fundraising page <laughs> that has uh, really actually uh, forced us to really look at how we expand our personal fundraising because it is so effective. And that is one that belongs to the one and only Steve Pearson. It's no. really <laughs> an amazing. It's true. It's true. Uh, it is. Um, 
Well, and I think what's what's not to you close your ears, Steve, because I don't want you to get your, we don't want you to 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 I'm grow. Not, I'm not listening. I never listened yeah, to any listen. of this anyway. I'm saying yeah. this is Jennifer. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I do think I'm like listening. what what I really really believe that again is why I feel at home at Swing Left, but also why I'm excited as we go into 2024 is people who are organizers in their bones and who apply the principles and the skills of organizing also to fundraising those are the folks who really who really believe in the power of collective action those are the folks who do really well for us uh who do well in our community and those are the folks who are going to be effective in the long term and what you've done with your personal fundraising page is organize and you've organized in a way that has organized wild amounts of resources to the most competitive races um, but you're doing it in a way that um, is building a foundation for the long term, not just not treating donors transactionally. And I think that's really, really important. Well, I appreciate that. And as a candidate, I will absolutely take all of the personal credit that you want to <laughs> give me for that. But uh, as as the actual host of this podcast, I know that this was the How We Win Fund and uh, mm-hmm. and the incredible uh, say, fundraising the that happened came from the coalitions that we built in this great progressive community and uh, and all the listeners who really stepped up to raise $230,000 for the, the midterms, amazing. which was amazing. Mm-hmm. So I'll take the credit, even it's though I don't deserve and. it, because I am a candidate now. But, uh, <laughs> it's a both and. It's huge. <laughs> Steve and your leadership and great organizing right. skills and it's the community for stepping up and seeing the moment and and not letting them themselves be knocked down by the pundits who were trying to tell us it was uh, pointless, you know, totally we said no to that. Totally. I also yeah. want to give a shout out while um, the How We Win personal fundraising page has uh, has really has done just amazing collective work. Um, the Swing Left group that I also want to give a shout out to that has sort of broken my brain and how powerfully they fundraise is the um, 31st Street Swing Left out uh, out here in the D.C. metro area uh, in your home turf, actually, Steve, yeah, in uh, my hometown, Chevy Chase, D.C. Yeah. Oh, wow. um, and um, and, you know, That's they cool. I, I sent them a thank you for their amazing. They raised. Well, I first sent them a thank you saying, you know, you all raised one point three million dollars this cycle for candidates, which is incredible for candidates and, and civic organizations. One point three wow. million dollars person to person. They actually do a lot of knocking on doors in their own community to fundraise and have built just a fundraising powerhouse, all small dollar grassroots donations. And I sent this thank you for their one point three million. And they're like, you forgot about Georgia. We raised one point six million. And that was, <laughs> it was amazing. Um, but I but, but I say that again because it's just I think that volunteers and swing left groups and grassroots leaders don't get the kind of credit um, certainly that that you all deserve, but also don't get the kind of credit out in the sort of ecosystem um, that uh, that is really important to keep folks motivated about what our collective scale is capable of. Absolutely. It's so inspiring. And it's a good segue to our next question, which is to hear about your 2023 and 2024 plans, because as we know, it is always within the margin of effort. And we know that we all need to do everything we can in these very tight elections with, I don't know, just the future of democracy hanging in the balance once again. Um, And so we'd just love to hear how you're thinking about this cycle. What are the plans you have cooking? I love that you said you're getting back to your roots, so I want to hear more about that. Um, So tell us everything. Yes. Um, 
Well, we uh, we knew out the gate that we needed to win Wisconsin, uh, which we are so proud uh, that we did. And I mm-hmm. think that um, what the Wisconsin win was important, not just for continuing the momentum from 2022, but really showing the power of uh, organizing in coalition. I mean, the Wisconsin Democratic Party that we were so proud to work with and uh, and invest in uh, is the example of what happens when you put organizers in charge, right? In in Ben Wickler having a an organizing right. running state party, but also an, uh, a state party that worked with grassroots organizing groups outside of the party infrastructure so effectively. Um, we're just really proud to um, not just win an election for momentum purposes, but for the very clear changes that um, that are possible now uh, in Wisconsin because of us working together really well and young people organizing in unbelievably inspiring ways, which we can get into um, later, but just some incredible work in Wisconsin. So we were proud to be a part of that. Um, And then going into 2024, um, you know, we had, we put some plans on paper. We said we knew we were going to do Wisconsin. We knew that we were going to invest in Virginia again. Mm -hmm. And we knew that sometime this summer we were going to launch our broader um, federal 2024 organizing strategy. Mm-hmm. And swing left group leaders said, nope, we are way too fired up to wait until the summer. We are ready to start knocking on doors right now. Mm. And if we don't win the house, we don't know what we're doing here. So we yeah. got to get to work right now. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, that was the most inspiring feedback I have ever received of like, we are ready to start in this or this is feedback that we've been getting, you know, since the the start of the of the new year to not just do Wisconsin, but to do so much more. So we've moved the launch for our Win Back the House campaign to April uh, to meet the demand of our incredible organizers and volunteers around the country that are ready to go. And they're ready to go because they know what's on the line, as you said rightly, Jennifer. I mean, this is the fate of our democracy that's on the line. And that, that you know, statements like that can feel cliche, but they are actually so deeply true that yeah. it is like it's an existential fight that's ahead of us mm-hmm. and that's not you know whatever these it's it, it's the i hope that we get into uh, just how much is on the line mm-hmm. but also you know i mean you all probably are are um nerding out over the same results that i was looking at 2022 the fact that the house we lost the house by 6675 votes i mean that is just mind blowing to me that just 6,675 yeah. votes. That's an organizer. That's a that's a volunteer team can win that many votes. And so yeah. to get started now, whether it's organizing financial resources so that the amazing candidates- I kind of feel like run- 31st Street uh, swing left really let us down because, <laughs> you know, they could have made that up. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. But it's just incredible. I mean, that's just, if 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 all of the resources that were raised had just been raised six months earlier, a year earlier, so that campaigns could hire a field director six months earlier, could, you know, build, hire their campaign manager a couple months earlier. Like, that's what that margin is. And so we're really proud. We're going to be launching tomorrow um, on April 25th. Mm-hmm. And um, and we're excited. We're going to start with 12 races, six um incumbent races and six uh, Republican uh, flip races that uh, were all Biden plus eight districts that we know we can win. But we know that we need to start investing now so that we are not leaving anything on the table. So tell us more about these races. Where are they? 
Well, uh, you will not be surprised to know that a lot of them are in California. Woo-hoo! A number of them. I think that. <laughs> so the lens that we the lens that we applied was, um, of course, there are, there are a lot of races. We're going to be adding more as we go. Sure. But mm-hmm. where are the places that are competitive, where we have the opportunity to win with the right investments, um, but also the places that need early infrastructure, and that is, I think, places like. California, New York, uh, and Illinois, and uh, places that are powerful hubs of swing left groups and volunteers, mm-hmm. but don't have the same kind of national, historical national investment um, that places like battleground, big battleground stakes have had. We're yeah. investing in those in those places, and also places like where I first learned how to organize in Ohio. Places that have started to just become sort of written off as not places that deserve the kind of national investment that they once did. And we just think that if we don't invest in those places where there are some competitive, winnable seats, we don't start doing that early, then once the country rightly starts really waking up to the urgency of the presidential and the Senate races, we're going to be too far behind. So we want to invest early in, um, and again, those the states that the states in the areas that are not getting that kind of deep early investment historically. Um, and then we'll, of course, expand the map and we'll make sure that we're investing in all the right battleground states as well. But California, New York, Illinois, New Mexico, Ohio um, are just a handful. And then North Carolina, um, North Carolina and Ohio being critical also because of redistricting and how worried we are about, hmm. um, you know, what happens when Republicans have the pen um, at redistricting. So we want to make sure we're doing some early investments uh, in those places as well. Well, that's very exciting. And uh, I can't wait to, I guess we'll we'll all go to swingleft.org to uh, check out those targets. And, um, and uh, we'll all go to swingleft.org to get involved in this too. Uh, early on here, as you're launching, what is the best way for our listeners, for volunteers to engage and, and start building that and start making an impact right now? Yeah, so we are, uh, this is, uh, as as I mentioned up front, we're going back to our roots of the very early ways that folks were able to get involved with Swing Left, which is typing in their zip code, getting connected to uh, their closest swing district. It'll be a smaller slate of districts for now, and we'll, we'll expand out. Um, but folks will be able to donate if there is a candidate, if it's a an incumbent candidate um, and someone who doesn't have a primary, folks will be able to give directly to that candidate. In the places where there's a primary, we want to make sure we're still building that early infrastructure so folks can donate to the nominee funds that we're going to be setting up uh, that will allow folks to, if they want to give any amount, but up to the the maximum in a primary, they'll be able to do that. Um, And uh, we were just talking before this uh, podcast about Lauren Underwood. Lauren Underwood recently shared with us just how meaningful it was when she finished her primary and her bank account was at zero because she'd had to spend it all to you know, make sure she got across the finish line and then just getting a check from Swing Left that she didn't ask for, that she didn't know was coming, mm-hmm. that she didn't work to raise and getting a big check that allowed her to just hit the ground running in her general election. She remembers now, several cycles later, just how meaningful that was. So those nominee funds we're bringing back and we're bringing back in full force. Um, and then we're also gonna provide folks the opportunity to start making calls and start knocking on doors. Even in the places where we don't know who the candidate is going to be yet, we are going to allow folks to go out, knock on doors. We're providing them with the doors that they that we you know were ourselves targeting, and then once we've got a candidate, we're going to hand over all that data to that candidate. 
uh, as an in-kind contribution so that that person has all the information that our volunteers were able to get about voters in the district to, again, hit the ground running in the general election. I love it. Yeah, that money, those big checks are so important. And uh, that was part of my favorite, you know, my favorite events in 2018. Uh, there was a couple of candidates that I actually got to hand the big check to. Amazing. And it, it was literally like a golf, a golf check, like a massive size <laughs> check that said swing left on it. And, and that was really, really fun. That's awesome. It's super important. I, I mean, I, you definitely can't stress it enough because it's that early money and the early support when the narrative is being set and when people are talking about whether this race is winnable or not. And I agree that the candidates really matter too. And it's hard sometimes to to watch these primaries and to not you know to not know if it's the right time to jump in. But it. I've been seeing some pretty inspiring candidates popping up totally. in some of these districts. So I'm I'm kind of excited. I think Me people are too. I think people have gotten that message that we need inspiring people. That was one of the reasons why I think we lost so narrowly in some of those places. You know, they there were candidates who were not running on a very strong progressive message around things like community safety and crime and other things. So we have to watch that going forward, but I really appreciate the early the early investment and the early action. And the so early totally. door knocking. We're back to knocking on doors. <laughs> oh yes, my gosh. I wait. Talk about I Swing wait. Left's roots. And, and you know, <laughs> we just know how inf effective that is, how important it is to do that work early, you know, to, oh, yeah. you know, to reach out into the community and, and engage with voters. Uh, it enables campaigns to expand their voter universe too, which is so important because we don't want to leave any any voters behind. And so That's often true. campaigns just don't have the infrastructure to reach out to what they call low propensity voters, which we all know are high potential voters, just people that we need mm -hmm. to engage with. So, um, and you know, the pandemic put the brakes on that and uh, back to the roots. That's how I got my start with Swing Left yes. was knocking on doors and it's so fun. So encourage That's everyone great. to get involved. Go to swingleft.org if you haven't signed up already. If you listen to this podcast, it's a good chance you're, you're uh, you know, already drinking the Swing Left Kool-Aid. But um, <laughs> um, I'll, I'll just so. ask you one more question that we ask everyone yeah. and we, at, we ended the last time you were joining us here. Um, and I think you have a lot of answers for this, but what is bringing you hope right now? Oh, my gosh. So much is giving me hope. Um, oh, I should have thought about this beforehand because it's a very <laughs> long list. Um, but actually, you know, um, what's giving me the most hope sincerely is something I mentioned earlier on, but the volunteers who are still organizing, the volunteers who called us and said, you've got to launch or win back the house campaign earlier than you are planning because we really want to get to work for our democracy now. Those folks give me a lot of hope. And, um, and you know, I, I said it before, but I think it's really important to say again that the narratives out in the world which are, you know, consistently so much more doom and gloom than anything that we hear uh, from our volunteers, especially our volunteers who are out talking to voters. Um, you know, those narratives, I think, are um, the reason that they are so doom and gloom is because it's, it's folks who don't see action as sort of connected to 
um, to, to changing what's possible. And Swing Life volunteers know that they are protagonists in the story of, uh, you know, making this country live up to its promise. And that gives me a lot of hope. Um, and then that, the other thing that I'll say that's related to, to Swing Life volunteers in general who just have stuck with it and are really doing the work is also that um, one of the the stats that um, that that really inspired me last cycle was that the people, a lot of volunteers who were active in 2018 didn't come back in 2020. A lot of those folks didn't come back in 2022. I mean, that's the truth, not just for Swing Left, but across the movement. Right. But of the ones who did stuck around, stick around, they were four times more likely to be affiliated with a Swing Left group than to be an individual volunteer. And what gives me a lot of hope about that, especially in a moment that um, I'm going to go a little esoteric for a second, but but bear with me, is that, you know, Dr. Murthy, our our Surgeon General, um, talks about loneliness being one of the four public health crises in this country, one Mm. of the most more urgent to deal with loneliness than it is to deal with COVID right now by a lot. COVID's not in the top four. Um, And when I talk to swing left groups and I, you know, folks like you, Steve, who've been with us from the very beginning... The groups that have formed are, of course, fighting for democracy by electing Democrats and doing the work that we need to win power. But they're also doing the work of strengthening our democracy through the groups that they are forming, through the relationships that they've built, through the one-on-ones they have with each other, through the negotiation of how they're going to spend their time with one another. Um, And the reason that they are still, they're more likely to be around if they were in a group than individually, I think has a lot to do with the fact that um, we're in a tough moment to be an individual and we're in a really important moment to build small D democracy and community. And and that gives me a lot of hope actually right now in a, in a moment where I think folks are really atomized that we are a community that relies on community um, and that that is actually uh, leading to greater impact. That gives me a ton of hope. So, um, so I hope not too esoteric, but it's the truth of of what's uh, what's um, what's really inspiring me about uh, the folks in in our orbit. Yeah, it's that's hugely important. It's no small thing to actually create real community and combat loneliness on the road to helping our democracy. Exactly, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, Very cool. But thank you both for having me on, and Jennifer, it's such a treat to meet you. Uh, you too. It's so wonderful to see you again. Thank you so much for joining us today. This is how we win. We win when we all get involved, and we're all going to do it right now. We're getting 2024 ready. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And we want to hear from you. So send us an email at hello at howwewinpod.com or tweet to us at howwewinpod, at bluesboysteve, and at Jen Ancona. Please make sure you subscribe, rate, and review on Apple or wherever else you get your pods. Share our show with your friends and family as well. There's always more work to do, so we will be back with more next Wednesday. 